church. Amen. He is active and moving. And, and I'm looking out and I can just, I can literally remember the last like month. I've just, I've heard stories from you of how the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. Right? Right? Yes. You were one of them. Praise the Lord. Yes. He's moving. And part of our purpose here is to share. So not literally right now, like don't, don't, that would be distracting, but but let's let's make use of this time before and after service to share what God is doing, right? That's why we're here. I pray this over my kids every Saturday night. Lord, may we be an encouragement to the to the other believers, and may we be encouraged from our fellowship with each other. Okay, the Holy Spirit is moving. He is active. He is present, and let's turn our hearts towards Him and allow Him to continue moving place. There's nothing worth more ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Here in your presence, Shame is up. 
grateful for this time of worship that we could come gather as one voice. We have hopefully opened our hearts to you. And now, God, as we continue through this service, we just ask that, that you would be with Pastor Josh as he comes and brings the word that you've laid on his heart. God, would you help our hearts to continue to be open how you might want to speak to us through your servant, Pastor Josh. God, we love you. We want our lives to glorify you in every way. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Good morning. We want to just share some special greetings with our Marysville Faith family. We look forward to being with you next Sunday morning. And we've been packing, getting ready to go. In between, we thought we would cram in a wedding. So we are at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene today, uh, marrying our daughter to her husband, uh, Noah. Very excited for them. Uh, but we're looking forward to the new stories that God's going to help us write in Marysville. And so we hope that you're praying alongside of us and are also eagerly anticipating what God has in store for us. And as you do that, if you would continue to pray for us as we have a huge week ahead of us. We have a birthday that we need to celebrate. We have a house that we need to finish packing up. And then we get to move. But we can't move quite yet because the house isn't ready. So we get to live with my parents for a couple weeks and commute um, to worship with you on Sundays. We look forward to this move. We are so excited as we begin this journey with you. And we also, our son comes home from the Army this Thursday, yes. and Tuesday we'll be closing on our house in Marysville. So just a lot of things going on, uh, so we do welcome and cover your prayers in these very crazy days, and uh, we'll have a lot more to share with you uh, when we get to be with you next Sunday morning. So God bless you. In the meantime, we look forward to uh, getting to know you all. Thank you for the cards and the well yes. wishes that we've already received. Uh, we, we feel so welcomed Very much already. appreciated. So uh, again, uh, thank you all for all of your confidence in us, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, so we want to continue uh, to pray for them as they make this transition uh, in the midst of chaos, and, uh, and we're really excited to have them, of course. I hope that you've been praying uh, for them as they transition in uh, and we get things started next week. Um, I, I thought that, you know, today would be a great day to just like come in in shorts and flip-flops and, you know, like I have no, I have no senior pastor who's going to tell me not to do that. But I thought, <laughs> but what's funny, so I was just thinking about that. If I did that, I'm, Chelsea and I are actually going to be gone the next two Sundays. We're on vacation. Uh, so the first two Sundays that Pastor Brian is here, we we're gone. And so I thought it would have been funny to just like show up in whatever I wanted and then mysteriously be gone for the next two weeks. <laughs> And you guys would have thought that I, <laughs> I was—I got fired already by Brian. So uh, anyway, so uh, anyway, yeah. Sign up there. Um, are we good? If, if, like I said, if the QR code doesn't work, you can just go to marysvillenazarene.org/sign up and make sure that we do that. All right, we good? You guys excited? I was—I uh, was—I <laughs> was back there. I was thinking. I wish that I had a guitar so that. Like when I like I had a passionate point, I had something to break. You know what I mean? Like Amy breaks her like her her guitar string, and like I've got nothing to break if I get passionate. Like I can throw my Bible, but I don't think that that would be a good idea. I need a guitar string to break. Anyway, what are we doing? Can I preach? Is that okay? <laughs> I'm just rambling up here. This is what happens when we don't have a, like an actual connection moment. I just ramble on, and here we go. Anyway, Romans chapter five. All right, Romans chapter five. It's going to be on the uh, on the screen. If you want to follow along there, if you want to follow along in your, uh, in your Bible, that's awesome as well. I'm reading uh, today through the, the NRSV 
uh, version. If you're reading NIV, it depends on which uh, year NIV, uh, whether there's some significant differences or some minor differences, but I'm reading NRSV. It's going to be on the screen, like I said, but I want you to, I want you to listen to this or, or follow along as we, uh, as we go through here. And as I'm reading uh, in Romans chapter 5, I want you to just kind of uh, just notice, notice God and the way that God works in this passage. All right, just, just keep that in your mind as I'm reading through here. Notice the way that God works in this passage because it's going to kind of set up the framework for where we are going in this passage. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, you guys know what we do when we see therefore, right? See why it's there, what it's there for, right? Yeah, we see what it's there for. In order to do that, you kind of have to look backwards a little bit. Uh, we'll do that in a little bit, but I want to just kind of get through here, and then we'll take a peek back, and hopefully it'll all make sense. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Aren't you thankful for the grace in which we stand? Are you, though? Yeah, yeah, good. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Some translations say in our sufferings. Knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Did you notice the way that God works in this passage? If you were paying attention, perhaps you picked up on uh, the scripture pointing out kind of the three persons of the Trinitarian God. Notice back, you can, you can look back, Spencer, you can throw it back up there for just a second if you don't mind, maybe. Uh, verse 1 and 2, we see, uh, we start out, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you jump down to verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through, who? The Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Do you notice the Trinitarian language here? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's very evident in the way that God is working in this particular passage. It points us to the Trinity, now, if you are a church calendar nerd like I am, you know that last week was what? Pentecost. Does anybody know what Sunday is right after Pentecost Sunday? I just told you. Trinity Sunday, right? Trinity Sunday. All right, so we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, uh, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we celebrate Trinity Sunday. Now, that's totally nerding out on you. I know, okay? But today is Trinity Sunday. And, uh, and, and, and there's many things that we could say about the Trinity. There are many analogies that I could give you uh, to kind of help you understand the Trinity. Uh, what are some? There's there's water, right? Like water in, in three, uh, whatever, three properties. Is that right? I don't know. Solid, liquid, gas, right? There's uh, other ones. There's I could be a father, a husband, and a son, all one, right? I'm, so I, I'm all of those things. But the truth is, as we as we try to understand the Trinity, as we try to uh, kind of boil down Trinity 
into a neat little analogy of some sort, the truth is, is that they all fall short, right? Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to put our words and our understanding onto a God who is beyond comprehension, right? And so what, we, what happens when we, when we find these analogies and these illustrations, they all fall short. And the truth is, is uh, throughout church history, uh, the majority of those illustrations and those analogies that we've come up with uh, have kind of been struck out as, uh, as heresies, right? They, like in councils and, and such, uh, they have been, uh, they've been, they've kind of been, no, that, that doesn't work. That's actually a heresy. So some of the heresies, this, I'm just going to nerd out for just a second, all right? Just bear with me. Uh, some of these analogies, they lead to modalism, kind of where, uh, where each part is, uh, has its own kind of mode and, and, and kind of the thing that it does. And so there's, there's a heresy that was, uh, that was condemned in one of the councils, and that's modalism. It could lead to tritheism. It could lead to Arianism. It could lead to docetism. It could lead to Ebionitism, Macedonianism, adoptionism, patriotism, all of these heretics. Side note here, there's a video. If you, I thought about showing it, but I decided not to. If you go home and check out YouTube and just, just uh, type in St. Patrick's uh, Trinity analogies. Hilarious video that kind of talks about, you guys don't even care about this, do you? <laughs> I'm totally nerdy. I wish David Smith was here this morning. They had a wedding this weekend, I think, and he would be nerding out with me on all of this stuff. The point is, is all of these analogies and all of these illustrations simply fall short when it comes to understanding the Trinity. Now, it's tempting, as it is Trinity Sunday, and in the lectionary, uh, there's, there's scriptures that point to the Trinity. And so it's tempting for me to try to preach on the doctrine of the Trinity. It's tempting for me to try to come up with just one more analogy or one more illustration that will help you to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. But guess what? I can't do that. Do you know why I can't do that? Because I don't know either. Right, this is one of those things that, uh, that we, we, we can't wrap our, our heads around. Oh, there goes all of my notes. That's pretty awesome. We can't wrap our heads around this doctrine of the Trinity. It's one of those things that we, we look at and we understand and we, we say that we just believe that this is who God is. Right, we just believe that God is good and we believe uh, through scripture that has pointed us this way. We believe through, uh, through church history and through the church fathers that this is how we understand God. We understand God to be a Trinitarian God. And I don't want to end up as a heretic, right? As I try to help you understand this, I don't want to end up as a heretic. So I'm not going to do that this morning. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at this passage for what it is. If you've been around the church for, for some time, you will know that Romans is kind of a significant book for us, right? We've kind of, uh, we've kind of obtained a lot of our theology and, and the way that we understand God to be from the book of Romans. It's significant. There's a lot in there. But can I tell you this morning that when Paul wrote this, when he wrote Romans, I don't think that Paul was trying to write a systematic theology. I don't think that Paul was trying to write a systematic theology that we would look to however many hundreds of years later and, and kind of see this is how everything works. This is our systematic theology. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pull theology from the book of Romans. I think that that's a good thing. I think that we can do that. But I think we want to understand that Paul was not writing this to write out a systematic 
theology. What was Paul doing when he wrote Romans? He was writing a letter like he did frequently. He was writing a letter, but it wasn't just any letter. It was a pastoral letter. Right? It was a letter as a pastor, as a shepherd. It was a letter that was written to a group of people. It was written to a church. And so this morning, I want to treat it like that. I want to treat this passage like that. And again, I, I encourage you, as I was reading that, to notice God. Notice the way that God worked. And I pointed out this Trinitarian God. What I want you to see to start with this morning is how the Trinitarian God is working together in unity and in harmony to accomplish God's purposes. Notice again how that happens. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see is the unity and the harmony of God working with God's self to accomplish God's purposes. Notice that unity and that harmony. That's the central part of this passage that I think is going to drive the rest of this passage. It's going to drive what I want to point out to you today. So again, as a pastoral letter, the book of Romans, as we have it today, right? It wasn't a book of Romans that, that was written at that point. It was a letter to a church. It was a pastoral letter. So as a pastoral letter, that means that it was written to a specific group of people in a specific context, in a specific time. And the purpose of this letter was to pastor and to shepherd this group of people in their identity as Jesus people. This was a group of Jesus people that had gathered together in the church. And so what Paul was doing was writing this pastoral letter in order to kind of pastor and shepherd and lead and guide them as they were figuring out what does it look like to follow Jesus. And so we read that scripture with that in mind. But that's not specific to the book of Romans, right? Like that's how we, caught that, you see that? That's how we read and understand the scripture in general, right? We understand that scripture, all of scripture was written to a specific group of people in a specific time, in a specific context, and that shapes the way that we read scripture. That doesn't mean that it has nothing to say to us. I think quite the opposite. That means that it has very important things to say to us, right? But we understand it in the way that it was written. And so as we read scripture, we find out who was this written by, who was it written to, what was the context, what was going on in the midst of this. And from there, what can we then learn from God? What does God have to teach us from that? So in order to do that, we need to talk some context. What was the context that this pastoral letter was written, right? It was written to which church? Guess. The Roman church. Yes, absolutely. In Rome. Good work. Guess who was, uh, guess who was part of the Roman church? The Roman church was, uh, was, was one of the older churches. It had been around for quite some time. And it was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Right? So the Roman church was, was kind of this place where uh, kind of two different groups had come together and started following Jesus together. It was Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, at some point in history, we, we know that the Roman emperor Claudius kind of kicked out the Jews 
from Rome. And that included the Jewish people who were a part of the Roman church. So at one point you had the Jews and the Romans uh, at, at a, as part of a church together. Uh, Claudius kicks out the Jews, and that includes those who are part of the church. And so then what we're left with is a Gentile church uh, there in Rome. Now, five years later, the, uh, the, the Jews were allowed back into Rome. And so when they came back to their church, when they were allowed to rejoin that church because they were re- allowed back into Rome, they noticed a little bit of a difference. This time away and then their return kind of revealed this bit of a divide in the Roman church. See, what they saw was that it was no longer a Jewish church. The Jews had been kicked out of Rome, and as that happened, it was a church of Gentiles. And so as is natural, it took on a Gentile look and feel. And the Jews came back, and they weren't exactly happy about that. The church didn't look like what it had before. It was missing kind of some of their Jewish culture and way of doing things. See, the Jews had this idea That everyone, even though we're following Jesus now, the Jews had this idea that everyone should be following the law. That everyone should be following Torah. All 600 some laws of Torah, the Jews were convinced that, that everyone should be following those laws. The Gentiles, on the other hand, kind of, they didn't grow up in that culture. They weren't raised in that culture of following Torah, and so what they were focused on was that we are free in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. We're not under those same laws that you are as Jews. Things like circumcision and Sabbath and all of these things that were kind of, uh, the, the Jews were, we've got to do this. Everybody has to do this. The Gentiles are saying, we are free in Christ. We're not bound by those same laws. And so as you can imagine, there was tension in this church. There was division, there was lack of unity, there was lack of harmony. And it's in this context that Paul writes a pastoral letter that we know today as the book of Romans. It's given that context of of division and lack of unity and, and harmony that Paul writes this letter. See, Paul desires, as we read in the book of Romans, Paul desires this church this church that has a pretty good history, Paul desires this church to be unified and not divided. Again, remember, we're using the Trinitarian God as a backdrop to understanding what it is that we are called to do, what it is that this church is called to do. The Trinitarian God, who is a God of unity and harmony, working with God's self to accomplish God's purpose And mission, with that as a backdrop, Paul desires, Paul is calling them to live into their true identity that transcends Jews or Gentiles. Paul is calling them to live into this identity, and that identity is that all of the people in this church are image bearers of the Trinitarian God. They're created in the image of this God who works in unity and harmony with God's self in order to accomplish his purpose. Paul is calling the church, the church in Rome, to live according to that identity. And so since this is a 
pastoral letter, what does this practically look like? If you think about maybe what Paul would have hoped to do as he is writing this pastoral letter to the church, again, I don't think that he had in mind, like, I'm going to give you all of the systematic theology so that you can know the right way to think, right? Likely he's writing this pastoral letter as a practical letter. This is what it looks like to live this out. This is practically what it looks like to live into this identity as an image bearer of the Trinitarian God. What is, what is the pastoral advice? What is the pastoral counsel that Paul could give to this church that has landed in two different spots when it comes to what it looks like to follow Jesus? What is that practical advice that Paul can give? This is interesting, but I think that the key to finding what Paul instructs them to do is found in what Paul calls them to boast in. There's a whole lot in this passage that we could go, I'm sure you've heard lots of sermons on how uh, affliction produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. But this morning, what I want to focus on is what Paul calls us to boast in. Now, at first glance, though, um, maybe boasting seems a little bit counterintuitive. Because as I'm thinking about Jesus and the way that he lived his life, boastful is not one of those adjectives that I readily attribute to Jesus. Right? We see this humble man, this gentle man. What I don't see is this boastful man. And so at first glance, it's like, man, Paul, you're telling us to boast in something? Like, that seems a little bit counterintuitive. But I want to focus on this idea of boasting and what Paul is calling us to boast in. Listen to verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And it goes on to say, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. We boast in our sufferings. Paul says, we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Why do we get to share in the glory of that God? What is it that allows us to be able to share in that glory of God that Paul is calling us to boast in? If we look at the very beginning of this verse, of this passage, therefore... Since we are justified by, what? Faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Why do we get to boast? Why do we get to boast in the sharing of the glory of God? Why is this possible? How is this possible? Why do we get to do that? Paul says it's because we are justified through faith. Paul says it's because of faith. It's because of what God has done for us. It's because of God's grace for us. Because of this justification, we have access to the grace in which we stand. In other words, I think Paul is challenging this church, encouraging this church, calling this church to boast in the very thing that unites the church. What is that very thing that unites the church? It's Jesus. 
Paul is calling this church that is made up of two groups of people that land in different camps. And Paul is saying, what I want you to boast in, what I want you to focus on is the thing that unites, and that's Jesus. That's justification through faith. It's not boasting. He doesn't say, I want you to boast in your ability to follow all of the law. I want you to boast in your ability to follow all of the Torah. Likewise, he, says, he doesn't say, I don't want you to boast in your freedom in Christ. I don't want you to boast that you're not bound by the laws of Torah. I don't want you to boast in that freedom from Christ, in Christ. Simply what I want you to boast in is your ability to share in the glory of God. Now this section, chapter, uh, chapter 5, if you are looking in your Bible, some of your Bibles may, uh, at, the, at the very top of this section, it may say uh, results of justification. Right? Does anybody's Bible say that, or was I just making that up? Okay. So, <laughs> okay, results of justification. Now, as I read that and as I understand that, and also as I see that the first word is therefore, since we are justified by faith, what do we want to do again? We want to go back a little bit, right? What we see is that in, the, in, in chapters 1 through 4, Paul is kind of setting up this picture. He's painting a picture, and what he's painting a picture of is the state of humanity apart from God, or the state of humanity as it relates to God. And to sum it up really nicely, as Paul writes through chapters 1 through 4, of course those are chapters that we added later, but as Paul starts out this letter, he describes the state of humanity before God, and to put it simply, it's broken. Right? Paul is, is writing this, and, he, and he's describing that state of humanity, and put simply, Paul is saying that humanity is broken. Right? Humanity is broken before God. Then later on in, in, in those first chapters, he goes on to talk about the only solution for that brokenness. And what is that only solution for brokenness? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's God's grace. It's the justification, meaning, meaning being declared not guilty before God. It's that justification that comes only through faith, through faith in God's grace and his love. What fixes our brokenness before God is only being justified through faith. I think we see as Paul is writing here, and he's encouraging the church, Torah, following the Torah to a T, doesn't fix it. Making sure that you follow all 600 and some Torah laws, it doesn't fix it. Likewise, I think he's saying that your freedom in Christ doesn't fix it. You're not being bound by the law and by Torah. That doesn't fix our brokenness before God. The only thing that fixes our human state before God is Jesus. Being justified through faith, God's grace. Can I tell you the good news this morning? The good news is that the very thing that fixes our brokenness before God is the same for every single person. It is the great equalizer. 
It is the great equalizer from Jew to Gentile, regardless of the upbringing, this justification through faith, the grace of God at at which we stand on is the same for all people. It's the great equalizer. Before before Chelsea and I moved here to Marysville, uh, which is eight years ago, by the way, uh, in a couple weeks, it'll be eight years, which is crazy, um, we were we were doing ministry at, at a Lower Lights Church uh, on the west side of Columbus, Franklinton. Um, tremendous tremendous time that I had at Lower Lights. When I think back at, at Lower Lights and and, uh, and I think about some of my fondest memories, I think of the Sunday morning church service. On any given Sunday morning, we could have a prostitute who would come in off the street. We would also have the town drunk Dave that would come in. Dave would frequently be quite disruptive in service. <laughs> it was fun. Seriously, it was. Dave would come in, the town drunk. Again, we could have a prostitute. You know who else we had in the service? We had, we had a doctor or two. We had a retired professor from Ohio State. We had this kind of wide range of people that would join together on a Sunday morning and there was one thing that was very clear in our in the way that the way that that service looked one thing was very clear and that was regardless of who it was whether it was that prostitute who wandered in or whether it was Dave that comes stumbling in halfway through service or whether it was the retired professor at Ohio State regardless of who it was They were on, we were all on level playing field. Right at the foot of the cross, we were all on level playing field. We were all equal by the great equalizer. We were all equal by Jesus. We were all unified by justification through faith. We didn't have to wait for them to get their life together. Likewise, we didn't have to boast in our ability to follow all of the laws. When we were there, everyone was on level playing field. Equalized by the grace of God that justifies us. I want to wrap this up this morning with just a little bit of a reminder of what God has done for us. And in order to do that, I want to kind of read a little bit of the next section, the verses immediately following this, as Paul continues to make this point about what it is that we boast in, what it is that we center our lives on. Listen to what Paul says, and as you listen, I want you to, and I want you to just be mindful of what it is that God has done for us. Listen to this. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still weak, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice what it doesn't say. 
Not once you were able to start following all the laws, Christ died for us. Or once we were able to finally find our freedom in Christ, then Christ died for you. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the great equalizer. So what does that have to do with you? What's it have to do with me? Can I go back to the good news that I shared? This great equalizer is available to everyone. This great equalizer, this grace, this justification by faith is available to everyone. It's the same for all of us. Whether you feel like, man, you've got life down and you are champing it. Or if you're just like, I have no idea what in the world I'm doing. It's the same for all of us. It's the great equalizer, and that great equalizer is available to you. Likewise, I believe that this great equalizer affects the way that we view and treat people, both within the church and outside of the church. See, when we start to understand that the great equalizer for all people is our ability to be justified through faith, only by grace, that that's what we boast in, then I believe that affects the way that we view and treat people. All of a sudden, there's no longer this hierarchy of, of, our, of our, our, there's no longer this hierarchy before God. There's no longer this, this um, you know, I, this idea of I'm so free in Christ and so I'm better than you. There's no longer this idea of I'm following the law so I'm bettering you. We're all on level playing field. And we begin to see people like that. So I would ask you this morning, what what would Jesus have you do this morning with the great equalizer? What would Jesus have you do with this idea that we have all been justified through faith? Maybe this morning is the morning where you're like, you know what? I don't know that I have been justified by faith because I don't know that I've ever accepted that. Maybe this is the morning for that. Maybe you have, and you, 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 but you failed to realize that, that this is equal and level playing field for all people. So maybe God is calling you to start seeing people like that. That the great equalizer is available for all people. I'm going to give you just a minute um, to quietly respond. If you want to come to the altar, by all means, come to the altar. If you want to pray in your seat, that's awesome too. But uh, I would ask that you'd be obedient to the Holy Spirit. God, we are thankful for your grace and for your love. God, we are thankful for the opportunity to be justified through faith. If there's anyone in here this morning who has not experienced that um, that start of that relationship with you and that understanding that before you all things can be fixed simply through your grace, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to seek that, to seek uh, that through conversation with uh, with us as pastor, staff, with a friend, that they would seek that. God, for those of us who have been following you on this journey with you, God, would you remind us 
what Paul calls us to boast in, to boast only in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And that hope of sharing the glory of God only comes through justification by faith, through your grace, through your love that we stand on. God, as we interact with people, may that be the thing that drives the way that we view people and we treat people. That at the foot of the cross, it's level playing field. At the foot of the cross, it's only you, it's only Jesus that fixes our brokenness. God, may we continue to be shaped and molded by your word, by Jesus scriptures. God, again, thank you for your love for us and for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.